0: No I know school's changed a lot since I was in the first grade, but I think in first grade, maybe even in kindergarten, uh, it's not unusual for students to be asked a question that I was asked in the first grade, and that was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think the answers are probably a lot the same. You know, I want to be a police officer or fireman, or I want to be a, a doctor. Personally, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved my dog when I was in first grade never thought i would be a preacher and yes some do aspire to such things there was a kid that grew up in western oklahoma first grade is a small town the teacher said what's everybody want to be and they're going around the room telling it one guy said you know i want to be a professional baseball player i want to play catcher and everybody laughed at him and before they graduated from high school they were asked the same question again and he said, I want to be a professional baseball player. I want to play catcher. And nobody laughed at Johnny Bench that time. Somehow between first grade and where we actually end up doing whatever we want to do, we know things may change a lot. College students may start with one uh, major in mind and end up having another major before they graduate. Things just change for us. And so that makes me wonder what Fernando de DeMauro was thinking when he was in first grade, if he had been asked that question. Fernando Waldo Damara jr. He was actually raised in Massachusetts and he had several careers throughout his life he was a prison warden he was a monk he was a surgeon he was a teacher he was a cancer research specialist he was a religiously oriented counselor and before his death he was a Baptist minister except he wasn't really any of those things he was a fraud he actually had a photographic memory and he was a speed reader and so during the Korean War he was actually deployed on the C H M S Cayuga a destroyer in the Canadian Navy and he was a surgeon there actually performed 16 surgeries on people and they all recovered even opened the chest of somebody for a surgery but what he would do is he would he would go into another room and he would speed read a surgical book on what he had to do and then he would go in and do the surgery and nobody ever died I mean if you're successful with your first one you probably think you need to do more but one of the surgeries made the news he had removed a bullet from somebody and it was reported in the newspaper that dr. Joseph sire had successfully removed a bullet from one of the soldiers the problem was The real Dr. Joseph Sire's mother read the paper, and suddenly she's confused. I thought my son was in civilian practice. Is he now in the military? So she called the Canadian Navy, and she asked, you know, what was going on, and they assured her that her son was still in civilian practice. And that's when he got caught, and he was exposed as a fraud. And they asked him, said, why did you do it? And he said, Rascality pure rascality he was just a rascal seeing how much he could get away with you ever wonder why people do things like that you ever wonder why people take on an identity and say things about themselves that they know aren't true but they buy into their own lie I mean for younger people we know that sometimes when people try to fit in for social acceptance for you know to get people like and maybe you try to be something you're not or someone you're not but it's not just about young people trust me every age in here deals with that same thing some people do it because they want the notoriety some people do it for fame some people do it because they feel a sense of power over others and probably the number one reason people do it (laughs) money get money by being somebody you're not. And this is not a new thing. It's actually a very old thing. And we read about it in the book of Acts with a man who was a spiritual imposter. Now, the story, and we're, we'll read part of it in a minute, the, 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 the story at first centers around Philip. Now, whenever Josh was preaching a few weeks ago, he talked about how the apostles said, we can't worry about some of this stuff. We've got to get some help. We're going to be concerned about the ministry of the word and prayer, but somebody else can handle the distribution of food among widows. And they said, find seven men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had a good reputation, and they became deacons in the church. And of those seven, one of them was named Philip. And then persecution hits the church, and the church begins to scatter, and Philip finds himself going down into Samaria. Samaria has a very interesting spiritual environment. If you read the Old Testament you know that the Jews were frequently warned by prophets you've got to put away your idolatry or God's gonna you know do something and ultimately the Jewish people go away into exile in Babylon but not all of them go those that were older those that were sick those that were weak were the ones that were left behind so some 70 years later when the people in exile come back to Jerusalem they discover that these other Jews that had been left behind began to mingle with people of other nations and other races. They intermarried. They had children. And they settled in Samaria. So these pure blood Jews that came back looked upon Samaritans as half-bloods. Or they might use a more pejorative and derogatory statement of calling them half-breeds. And so the Samaritans, even though religiously they're Jewish, they're not accepted in Jerusalem in the temple. Philip goes down to Samaria. There are people with a religious orientation that is uh, Jewish, and he begins to say, You've been looking for the Messiah. Let me tell you, the Messiah has come. And he tells them about Jesus, and he tells them how Jesus will forgive all their sins and is going to be the king forever. And they believe. They believe in Philip and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to do miraculous deeds paralytics are healed demons are cast out if you will revival fire is breaking out in Samaria in fact it seems to be raging in such a hot way that word gets back to Jerusalem and they're going to send some of the Apostles to check it out in the midst of that there was one man in Samaria who was losing power he had been the one who had fooled people for years as a spiritual imposter let's read that from the book of Acts a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one The power of God they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ as a result many men and women were baptized then Simon himself believed and was baptized he began following Philip wherever he went and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed When the Apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the Apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power Let me have this power too. He exclaimed so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit But Peter replied may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought You have no part in this for your heart is not right with God repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord so Simon was a spiritual imposter likely he was doing it for the fame likely he was doing it for the money he probably loved the control he had by manipulating people through his magic tricks and you would think you would hope that after 2,000 years of church history that we would learn to see and identify quickly those who are spiritual imposters and yet brothers and sisters I believe that all of us you me to some degree we all can be seduced by spiritual imposture. i read a sermon this past week by a guy named russell moore i know absolutely nothing about russell moore except that he wrote a sermon on spiritual imposters and he brought up three reasons why we can be susceptible to this and i think they're worthy of sharing with us the first is deception can look a lot like discipleship if someone is going to deceive you if an imposter comes in they're going to connect with where you are now the word disciple again literally means student and a lot of times students take on the character of their teacher in the same way that children take on the habits of their parents do you ever uh, you know look at your Children and say ooh, wow, that's just like me. I do that when my kids do things good (laughs) You know do y'all ever hear yourself say something Think, "Ooh, wow, my mom or dad Says that or does that it's it's not a bad thing. That's just how it goes so when a spiritual imposter comes into a spiritual environment what they will do is they will watch and observe they are smart They are witty, they are perceptive, and they pick up on the things that we do. They pick up on how we talk, how we dress, how we sound, how we live. It would be my hope that if a spiritual imposter ever came to St. Andrews, that they would quickly pick up on the idea that all of us are ministers, and they would avoid the V word because a lot of y'all don't and that lets me know that you're not imposters you're just not yet to that place that you need to be in your discipleship they're just casing the joint they may pray and it sounds like us when we pray they may sing and they may raise their hands because some people do that and they want you to think they're fully surrendered in the moment they do the things that we do so that we gain or they gain our trust but they're imposters An imposter is someone who is dark pretending to be light that's what an imposter is that's what spiritual fraud is it's darkness pretending to be light and how come they can be so successful at this well partly because spiritual imposters take advantage of our innocence now this kind of becomes dangerous territory for me it's dangerous territory for Josh. And that is, when you come in here with the spiritual hunger, with the desire to be able to worship and grow in your discipleship, you trust us. You trust that the things that we're going to share with you are authentic and they're true, and this is how we ought to look at things as people of faith. You do that in your innocence, because honestly we just need to be able to trust some people right there are some people in our lives that we have to trust have our best interests at heart that was one of the signs of koinonia that we talked about several weeks ago that there's concern for and dedication to your highest good we got to be able to trust people now I remember very clearly maybe some of y'all remember this I can assure you I will never forget this Christmas Eve 11 o'clock service 2019 now if you weren't here let me tell you what happened 11 o'clock fourth service we've had that day I get up to preach and shortly after I get up to preach I can't feel my legs I knew I had a pinched nerve in my back For a couple of years it had been a situation where my feet would go numb but my legs had never gone numb and I was just on page one now to give you hope Christmas Eve my sermons are only five pages not seven and I thought I can't feel my legs I could see a stool up there but I couldn't even walk to get a stool because when my feet would go numb if I'd sit down the feeling would come back and all would be well but I thought man I just got to power through this I'm here to tell you friends if you want a good lower body workout get a pinched nerve in your back where you can't feel your legs and try to stand up I did have a little help by the way how many of y'all were here and remember that yeah I knew I had a witness this morning and so they could tell you that what I had to do was I was leaning on the, the podium because that's how I could keep my balance. And I would put all my weight on this leg for a while, and then i put all my weight on the other leg. And I was getting this tremendous workout because I started sweating like crazy. People thought I was having a heart attack. And right toward the end of the sermon, I'm on page 5, I have to shift my weight, and when I did, I went. And there was such a loving response from the congregation. It sounded like this. Oh, And that's when I told people okay let me explain what's going on I have a pinched nerve in my back I cannot feel my legs right now let me finish and then I, I pointed to a man in the church I said and as soon as I'm done you got to come help me because I can't move I cannot walk and they had to help me off the platform for those of you that might be new if you wonder why I sit on the stool it's because up here in the gray matter I can never forget that and I always have this thought that it could happen again of course to correct the situation I went and saw my doctor and my doctor said Yep, yeah, ooh, that looks pretty bad uh, he said that after seeing my MRI which I'm gonna tell you if you've never had an MRI where they stuff you like a sausage into a casing it is nothing like what you see on TV I had to have Valium as a couples counselor to help me get through that experience and um, you know he said what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put you in the best pair of hands in Oklahoma City now, some of y'all know, I've said before, my primary physician, primary care physician is Dr. Todd Clapp. Todd's a member of our church. He's a friend. He's a man of faith. He sat there in the last service, and he didn't disagree with anything I said about this. But how do I know that he's actually putting me in the best hands in Oklahoma City? Well, number one, because as my primary care physician, he's never led me astray. He's always been honest. He's always straightforward in telling me what's going on. And number two, people close to him have had this surgeon do surgery. I was innocent. I trusted him. I did not believe there was any way he would mislead me. And oftentimes that is the attitude that we come to church in, is we have this attitude of innocence. And a person who's casing the joint, seeing how things work, will see our level of trust and try to take advantage of that. And then Russell Moore actually gives a third reason why spiritual imposters can be so effective in the church. The church draws spiritual imposters because of the perversion of the Christian doctrine of Grace. We are saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. He came to pay the penalty for our sin and give us the hope of new life. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out on everybody in Acts 2, what Peter says is, is if you want to do this, you've got to turn from your sin and you've got to turn to God. This turning from sin is what we call repentance, cheap grace. And imitation of grace says God forgives you but requires no change in your life when we repent of our sin we have to turn and walk away from it and then God gives us this power to continually overcome and battle and struggle and as long as the grace of Jesus Christ is effective we know and can be confident that we are fully forgiven but it always leads us to this life transformation next week's sermon and change that we have to have in our lives and so often Manipulators sorcerers magicians spiritual imposters have a different plan in fact if you read some of the New Testament you will see that from this moment that Philip has this encounter with Simon as the church spreads there are always false teachers trying to come in and undo the work that God has done And in some of those churches that Paul founded he would send somebody to that church to help lead them mostly he would send a young man his protege by the name of Timothy Timothy had followed Paul from a young age he knew right doctrine he knew what to do but he was so young people didn't always take him seriously and we see this happen sometimes in church or maybe you don't see it but I've seen it happen in church with young pastors where they're trying to lead a church and they're trying to be effective, and there's somebody in the church that's older and wiser and, and has some authority in the church, and they come up under the guise of friendship. You know, Pastor, I just I want you to know I always have your back. There's something I need to tell you. But, you know, people are kind of, they're just kind of nervous. They don't really like some of the stuff you're doing. I, I need to tell you this so you can quit doing it. What Paul writes to Timothy is don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But then he writes something that goes right to the heart of dealing with spiritual imposters. Paul writes, For the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. You see, an impostor knows just enough about the Bible to be confusing to you and they'll take whatever those verses that they're trying to manipulate, and they'll mix it with something else. They'll mix it with conventional wisdom. They'll mix it with a cultural emphasis that is clearly in contradiction to what Scripture teaches, and they will mix these together for people who really want to hear that. And whenever you take something that is true and you mix it with something that is not true, what do you call that? Well, I have a hunch you call it a half-truth. But in the church, we have a different word for it. We call it heresy. And in the church, there are people that come to worship, and they're being deceived by something that looks like discipleship, and in their innocence, they're taking in, and they're told a perversion of the gospel of grace that is really heretical. And we've got to be alert for that. That's really something the Bible says over and over again. Be on your guard. Be awake. Be alert. And so I want to share with you three ways that we can do this. This does not come from Russell Moore. This comes from somebody increasingly less known than Russell Moore, me. Here's the first thing I would say that is a safeguard. You've got to know and understand the Scriptures. I know. That's kind of a default message, isn't it? You go to church or ask a question, and the answers are read your Bible, pray, go to church, serve. Well, those are four foundational things, four pillars, if you will, of our church. But the top of the list is know and understand the Scriptures. If you know and understand the Scriptures, you know and understand more about God. God has mystery that not even scripture explains but to know and understand scriptures is to know and understand God and the more we know and understand God the less likely we are to be taken in by Christian fraud in fact a friend of mine posted something on Facebook this week I found it helpful I want to share it with you this evidently comes from some kind of website called the chorus in the chaos he says teach your kids how to read understand, and apply the Bible, and you'll never have to worry when they come across false, shallow, or emotionally manipulative doctrines. We want to raise contenders and defenders of the faith, not more biblically illiterate, double-minded Christians. Now, I'll confess that last part's a little more harsh than what I would normally say, but I think we get the point. We want people that contend for the faith that was handed down to us. We want to be able to defend our faith. We don't want to be taken in by some manipulator. We want to be able to stand strong in the midst of that. When we're standing strong, then we understand this. In the church that God has created, we have people who have a spiritual gift to discern if a message is true or from an imposter read 1st Corinthians chapter 12 it gives a list of nine spiritual gifts and right there in that list of nine gifts is one that is called the discerning of spirits it's kind of easy to overlook because it's right between prophecy and speaking in tongues it's right between here's something that we need to honor and uphold or prophets and man this one's flashy and sometimes downright scary (laughs) discerning of spirits and what this is is to discern if something is from God Or something is not from God. Maybe it's from an evil spirit. Maybe sometimes it's just from our own spirit. When I'm in a situation sometimes and things may be chaotic or feel confusing, the question I will ask is what spirit is at work? And one of the best ways we know what spirit is at work is to know is this lining up with our knowledge and understanding of scriptures that teaches us who God is. Then the third spiritual safeguard that we have against spiritual impostors is a connection to apostolic authority. Did you notice in the scripture, Philip's the one teaching, Philip's the one doing the miracles, Philip is doing all this great stuff, and this revival fire is breaking out. But now, word gets back to Jerusalem because all the believers scattered except the Apostles they stayed in Jerusalem and when they hear what's going on their thought is okay we better go check this out because remember these were the full-blood Jews now hearing that the gospel is being received with those half-blood Jews and they didn't send just any two. they sent the two big guys Peter and John and they go down and they see that this move of God is real and ever since then in the church we can trace how Apostolic teaching and authority has been passed down from generation to generation how it is that God raises up those with Apostolic authority if you want to know how somebody's false It's they don't want to submit to that authority They have no connection to it because a spiritual imposter does not want to be held accountable They come in they do their damage for as long as they can and if things get too hot We just go to the next place down the road, the next place where people appear to be innocent sheep following a good shepherd, while we're really the sheep that is disguising the wolf. Oh, friends, if you've ever been deceived by a spiritual imposter, you're probably in pretty good company because all of us are susceptible to that but we learn to identify them. God has gifted people to point them out to us. It's not that hard. But I know if we've been deceived, we, we feel bad and we feel embarrassed. But let me tell you why this is so important for us. When we think of the children in our church, when we think of our youth, we want to raise students that are Contenders and defenders of the faith, and not merely pretenders. This is why we continue to say that the church cannot be filled with people that are merely consumers. We've got to be producers, that we hand off the faith that has been handed off to us. Therefore, we need people that will teach our children and teach our youth what it means to be a follower of Christ and how it is to know God through what the Bible teaches us. And I think the reason so many people don't want to do that is because we look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, I see the face of a spiritual imposter because we know the things we do We know the secrets that we have. Secrets we don't ever want to be revealed. And we don't want to be someone that would be a spiritual imposter. If you've ever found yourself in that place where you felt like you were just an imposter, doing your best to be Christian but way too often falling woefully short, Here's some good news. You don't have to leave this place, that person that you are, if you're feeling that. You don't have to leave that way. It actually says in Romans that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We repent of our sin. We turn to God. And we continue to ask God to strengthen us through our repeated failures in our discipleship. And God never turns a blind eye to us. God always says, yep, let's start again. Sometimes we have to go back to the first step, and sometimes we don't have to go back that far. But you don't have to be a spiritual imposter. You don't have to be afraid. Because God, in every way, doesn't just want to save us. God wants to save us completely. And so, here in a minute, we're going to sing. And as we sing, again, we've got places if you want to come and kneel and pray, we invite you to do that during the song. After every service, Josh and I are up front simply to pray and minister to people who might want prayer. So, don't hesitate to do that. And those of you that are joining us online, okay, it take you a while to get here, we'll probably be gone. Reach out, call me, call Josh. Say, can we talk about this? Would y'all pray with me?